Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is a test. For the next 60 seconds, this station will conduct a test of the emergency broadcast system. America, here comes the relief from the pain. Unapologetically, this is Lock and Load with Bill Brady. Number three. This is Lock and Load, and I'm joined now by Dean Weingarten from the beautiful confines of Yuma, Arizona. How are you doing today, sir? I am doing very well, thank you. Let's talk about the pistol brace rule because you wrote a pretty good article on it, and I mean, uh, there's there's a lot of a lot of uh, details to this. Being, yeah, yeah, a lot being said about it. Tell me about this. So what, uh, what's what been going on is that the, the pistol braces first came out about a decade ago, and they're meant to uh, help stabilize a heavy pistol, uh, particularly for someone who's disabled, may only have one hand, for example. And when they came out, uh, the inventor asked, the ATF that they were legal, and the ATF ruled that they were legal, and uh, various different letters have come out saying that this is legal or that's legal over the last decade. But when President Biden got into office, um, the ATF changed its uh, interpretation, and it's not hard to see why. There's very little difference between a pistol with a brace that can be used as a shoulder stock and a pistol with a shoulder stock. Right. And so they were trying to somehow come up with a difference. And it's it's hard slogging. I mean, I try to put myself in their shoes, and it's just difficult. You know, you're trying to finesse really infinitesimal differences and a lot of it depends what somebody wants to do. I mean, the whole law, the whole idea that a pistol with a shoulder stock is a short-barreled rifle is probably a misapplication of the law to start with. But under the Biden administration, the ATF came up with a fairly complicated rule with a score sheet And it was, frankly, very difficult to decide whether a particular pistol brace combined with a particular pistol met the definitions of a short-barreled rifle or not in the law. It was one of those things that it's kind of a 
I'll know it if I see it kind of thing. Right. Which isn't a very good position to be in, in the law. Well, they put it out for comment, and they got a lot of comments, something like almost a quarter of a million comments, and the overwhelming majority of them, I think it was 85% or more, maybe 90%, were negative. And they changed the rule to something quite a bit different, which didn't have this scoring system. And in, in my interpretation, when I read it, I said, well, this is just saying, well, we'll look at it and we'll know it when we see it. <laughs> Not a good position in the law. So there's been numerous court cases challenging this final rule. And the final rule, by the way, encompasses a number of other things. It also includes, uh, I believe, the uh, a new definition for what is a receiver or a frame for a firearm. I don't think it had, I think the bump stock is in a different rule. But anyway, and in the Fifth Circuit, uh, the judges at the appellate level have said it doesn't hold up. And they haven't, they did not say that the rule was unconstitutional. They said you can't have an administrative agency just make law. And besides, they didn't follow the rules because while they put out the rule for comment, then they massively changed the rule and they didn't put out the new rule for comment. And so they didn't follow the proper procedure, so they don't have the authority to make this rule, which anyway is law, and they shouldn't be making new law. And so they, the three-judge panel on the court said, it's not lawful, and, uh, you know, they are not going to allow to go, the law to go into effect. Now, that's been covered extensively by other people. Uh, but I found particularly interesting is uh, this three-judge panel. Two, and it was a split rule. Two judges agree that the ATF did not follow proper rule, uh, proper the uh, proper procedure for changing a, a rule like this. But then one of those two judges, his name is Don R. Willett, in the Fifth Circuit, and he said, yeah, I agree with this opinion. That's correct. But I want to mention that almost certainly this rule against adding a shoulder stock to a pistol is unconstitutional on its face. And he said, you can't, you know, the point is that somehow pistols are supposed to be more dangerous because they're concealable. And you might make a case that, you know, when you saw off a rifle barrel, you make it less accurate. But when you add a stock to a pistol, you're making it more accurate. And it's less concealable. So when you're basically making it better for the use for which it was intended, how can you say that it's not legal under the Constitution? And I, I agree with him. How can you 
by adding an accessory, you make something work better. You can't say that's not constitutional when the thing you started with, the pistol, has been acknowledged by the courts as being protected under the Second Amendment. Plus, as long as there have been pistols, there have been shoulder stocks that have been added to pistols to try to improve their accuracy. And they generally do improve the accuracy somewhat, although today, with these micro red dot sites, the pistol sites no longer are as much of a limitation as they used to be. And so you can get very close to rifle accuracy out of a pistol with a shoulder stock and a red dot sight. So I think Judge Willett was correct in this and that shoulder stock pistols are protected because they're common. they were in common use before this 1934 law, and uh, they are in common short barrel rifles are in common use now and these pistol braces are in common use and they're in common use and they're used for lawful purposes therefore they're protected now there was a dissenting judge Stephen A. Higginson and he disagreed with uh, Willis' argument and said I disagree that pistol braces are safety improvement modification. And then he talked about a case that was uh, brought up before the Supreme Court in 1992, United States versus Thompson slash Center Arts. And I'm a little familiar with this case because it was the case where the Supreme Court said the rule of lenity applies in these cases. And because of that, if you have a Thompson center uh, firearm because what they did is they sold a kit that had a shoulder stock with a long... Hold on right there. I was listening too hard to you. Hold on right there. We'll be right back. Talking to Dean Weingarten. This is Lock and Load. Welcome back. This is Lock and Load, and we're talking to Dean Weingarten. Dean is out here right now, uh, sort of, uh, you know, trying to trying to explain something to me to where I can understand it. You were about to tell a story, and I did not. We, we had to go to break. Yeah. So. so that's okay. We were talking about the, uh, the decision in the Fifth Circuit where they say that uh, this uh, ATF final rule on stabilizing braces for handguns is not legal because the ATF did not go through the proper procedure. And one of the judges, Judge Willett, it was a two-to-one split decision. Judge Willett concurred, but then he said, and it's uh, the prohibition on pistols with shoulder stocks is probably unconstitutional anyway because shoulder stocks make a pistol less concealable and more accurate 
and there's no reason uh, to consider them a particularly dangerous or unusual weapon, and so they're covered by the Second Amendment. Now, there was a judge who disagreed with the uh, Judge Willett, and the judge's name is Stephen Higginson, and he said, no, these are not uh, safety-improving devices because, and then he cited a case, uh, U.S. United States versus Thompson Center Arms. And that was a case where the Supreme Court said the rule of lenity applies to NFA rules, National Firearms Act rules. And in that case, Thompson Center Arms had made some kits with long barrels and shoulder stocks along with a pistol, these are single-shot pistols, and shorter, pistol, regular pistol grips and shorter barrels. And you could take uh, the long barrel and put it onto the receiver and mount the shoulder stock instead of the pistol grips, and then you'd have a legal rifle. Or you could take off the barrel and the shoulder stock and put on regular pistol grips and a shorter barrel and have a legal pistol. And the ATF said, no, if you're in possession of that short barrel and the shoulder stock, that makes it a short barrel rifle. Therefore, uh, they're illegal, and you're violating the National Firearms Act. This went all the way to the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court said, no, you have to actually put the short barrel together with the shoulder stock to make it illegal. Just possessing the two of them together does not make it illegal. So, um, in the 1992 decision by Thompson Arms, they said that the uh, federal government had restricted short barrel pistols because presumably they aid in uh, crime. Uh, short-barreled rifles, excuse me. But 1992 was before the Heller decision in 2008 or the McDonald decision in 2011 or the Bruin decision just recently in 2022. And all of those would bear on that decision and probably change it. Uh, and so I think that uh, Willett has it correct and Higginson has it wrong and short-barreled, or excuse me, pistols, with shoulder stocks uh, are in common use and should not be regulated more heavily than regular pistols. And following this line of reasoning, it should be expected that silencers slash suppressors, which are also gun accessories, which improve uh, the action of a firearm uh, and make it less concealable, and they make it safer and more effective, exactly the same as can be said of a shoulder stock on a pistol. So they also uh, should not be under the excessive regulation of the National Firearms Act. Now, the constitutional issue did not come up directly in this decision. Judge Willett just felt that he should explain his thinking, and I expect his explanation will be Cited in decisions in the future as uh, the uh, excessive regulation of sho shoulder stock pistols comes under review in the courts. And they, you know, that his, his logic is hard to hard to defeat. Yeah. So here, here's my question. I mean, th doesn't this sort of all boil down to trying to control where you? how you hold a gun. Yes, <laughs> it does. And I, as soon as 
Keller was decided back in 2008, I said, well, if, if, how can you possibly uh, ask for more restrictions on rifles than you do on pistols? Pistols are used in crime like 20 times as common as rifles are. And yet this is exactly the argument they're trying to make with uh, so-called assault weapons. They're saying, well, these rifles are used in particularly bad crimes, you know, a few times a year, so we have to be able to regulate them. But pistols are used more often than rifles in mass killing, and you can't regulate them. I mean, they're caught in a bite, uh, but the left has never been really strong on logic and reason. In these cases, right. I mean, they, they want what they want. They want control. They want to disarm the public. And so they, they really don't care if they, they just want to, if they just find some kind of emotional hook that they can put their argument on, they're very willing to do so. But what they are, what they have a difficult thing doing is just saying to people, we don't want you to have guns. So what they do is they try to make this argument, which I don't think is a valid argument, by the way. They just say guns are bad. More guns are more bad. Uh, and that's the essence of many of their arguments. If you have one gun, it's bad. Two guns are twice as bad. Twenty guns are 20 times as bad. Guns are bad. But when we look at what happens when you have more guns, it just doesn't hold up. We increased the per capita, the number of guns per person in the United States, basically doubled from, you know, the 90s until the 2010s or so. I mean, it went up significantly. And in the same time, the homicide rate dropped in half. So it's hard to make an argument. More guns are more bad when you get twice as many guns and half the murders. But they didn't work to do it. They tried real hard. They said, well, look, 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 we got suicides. Uh, we'll add suicides in the mix. More people are committing suicides, and about half the suicides are committed with guns. Therefore, see, guns are bad. More guns, more suicides. Well, that doesn't, it doesn't hold up either. Because if you look where more guns come in, you don't necessarily have more suicides. You might have more suicides with guns, but even that doesn't hold up. I mean... And if we look at the international comparisons, we look at Japan and Korea, and they have enormous suicide rates, much higher than the United States. And they have hardly any guns. They don't have guns at all. Hold on there for me, if you will. So here we are talking about this. And this is the background beyond all this stuff. And these are the things that have to get brought out and everything else. And it's uh, it's always happening. Dean is the best one at it. We'll be right back. This is Lock and Load. I've seen just about every corner of this country, three million miles in my career. I spend a lot of hours on the road, but I love being my own boss. 
road can be a beautiful place, but you're out here on your own. There certainly are risks. I'm Charles. I'm a truck driver, a husband, and a father. And that's why I choose Federal. When it comes to online gun shops, Primary Arms is one of America's largest retailers of new firearms, parts, accessories, and gear. They stock over 600 popular brands, all with everyday low prices and fast shipping. If you ever have any questions about a product, their team of product experts will help you make the right purchase. So, don't settle for less. Visit PrimaryArms.com today and see why so many gun owners make it their first destination for all of their firearms needs. For over 25 years, Aero Precision has paved the way as a leading manufacturer of American-made AR parts. Aero Precision caters to the rifle builder by engineering quality receivers, hand guards, and other essential parts. Aero Precision's added enhancements create a smooth build process from start to finish for beginners and seasoned builders. Whether this is your first rifle or your 50th, Aero Precision offers everything you need to make a quality AR at an affordable price. In the 21st century, the handgun has become the preeminent self-defense tool. At CNH Precision, we specialize in taking your weapon to the highest degree of functionality possible. With a complete array of goods and services specializing in red dot sight installation, CNH Precision will help you realize the most effective handgun the first time. If you need slide milling, installation, or accessories, go to chpws.com. CNH Precision. Welcome to the Boom Squad. At Chambers Custom, we have one job. We strive to build the most obsessively reliable, accurate, and beautiful pistols for the discriminating gun owner. Using the ageless 1911 design with a 21st century approach to each part and component, Chambers Custom meticulously begins each pistol as a standalone project, creating a bespoke, handcrafted, peerless firearm. They integrate all of the internal, external, and intrinsic elements that make a custom 1911 unique. Go to ChambersCustom.com. Chambers Custom, truly the mechanical advantage. At Spikes Tactical, we are all shooters with a very simple mission. Make the best product we can perfect at the best possible price for our consumers. We strive to produce the best components and rifles available with quality control second to none because real-world events don't allow for a second chance. Whether you are an operator, competitor, or home defender, Spikes Tactical will serve you well. Go to SpikesTactical.com. Spikes Tactical, 100% American-made to the highest standard. such thing as a fair fight, and we bring the unfair advantage that is the 2011 platform. Dominate. At Staccato, we know the most important gun you own is the one that you're carrying when you're facing that threat to life and freedom. Win. We want you to enter that objective confidence that you are carrying the best gun in the gunfight. No compromise. No sacrifice. Staccato2011.com. Stand ready to face down the darkness with 2011. Holster.com, the home of DeSantis Quality Built American-made products for 45-plus years. Supporting police and government contracts from first responders to responsible citizens. Holster.com is your source for quality American-made leather and Kydex holsters for the armed American. For concealed carry or open carry, Holster.com has what you need. We didn't invent concealment. We perfected it. Go to Holster.com now and buy a DeSantis holster today. 
What's in a name? If that name is Ace Firearms, you've just entered a very expensive business. First, a fully appointed gun shop with all the guns, ammo, and accessories you could possibly imagine. But then you enter the manufacturing facility that is home to Red Alligator Concealment, Militia Arms Customs, and so much more. Ace Firearms is beyond a simple gun shop. This is a totally peerless operation. To find out more, go to acefirearms.com. Ace Firearms. This is only the beginning. At MGS, we have what it takes to reinvent yourself. With a curriculum designed to balance work, family, and a gun repair education, MGS provides the gateway into one of the fastest-growing segments of the gun industry. Modern Gun School's mission is to provide high-quality distance education using time-tested materials and hands-on projects designed to develop a proficiency in both the technique and the business of gunsmithing. Go to mgs.edu. MGS Trade School. Your future is waiting. Welcome back. And we're looking, you know, talking to Dean Weingarten. This is Lock and Load, and we've been discussing this whole pistol brace nonsense. And you can take the pistol brace, and you can just about it, superimpose that over uh, over anything lately. You can, you can superimpose that over the whole brace thing. You can superimpose it over the bump stock thing. And uh, so here's a few questions for you, if we, if we can. Uh, first of all, isn't all of this all just ex post facto? Or would it be considered ex post facto? Because these things were allowed to be sold for X amount of time, however long it's been. Home-built guns has been, been, been allowed for how long? Forever. And, and, and now they, there's been guns. Right. And now they want to come in and say, well, uh, but they're not, that's not anymore. And right. uh, so that's question one. Isn't it how, – how many of these laws actually get uh, – Enforced that they've got out there right now today, and uh, primarily, and you know, isn't all of this just a really silly waste of time as far as this stuff? Because guns all have ammo and barrels. I thought that's what made them dangerous, not all the other things that are behind it. <laughs> yeah, well, there, there's been a, I, I have been educated on what the courts consider ex post facto, and I thought that if you got punished for something that was legal in the past and they changed the law that that was an ex post facto law, you know, if they then punish you in the future. But what I've seen in the courts is they say, well, if we just say you can't have something, that's not a punishment because it's in the future you decide to have it or not. But of course that that's kind of silly because they're taking away your right to have that thing. But the ex post facto that I thought was mostly concerned with the Lautenberg Amendment, because that seems so egregiously ex post facto, but the courts were not willing to see it that way. But that was all decided before the Heller decision in 2008, so it might be different now. And I agree, many, many gun laws are just not enforced. And they become one of the things where we look and see uh, you know, we're looking for somebody we want to get. Well, we know the person we want to get. So we got a whole bunch of laws out there. There must be one of these laws they're violating. And they look uh, like in the old Soviet Union. Show me the man and I'll show you the crime. 
And because we have so many laws out there, just like with Donald Trump, they can find some way to wedge that law into an indictment against the person they're trying to get. So, in my opinion, the courts will probably not call these ex post facto laws, but they will find that they were not allowed under the current administrative procedures, and if they continue to be pressed, they'll probably find that they're not constitutional under the Bruin decision. Well, so that's my opinion. Well, I mean, your opinion means something. You're 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 quite the historian when it comes to some of this stuff. But I mean, this whole thing with the uh, the whole thing with the pistol brace thing. I mean, it's silly, and several decisions have said pretty close to what you're saying. Yeah, they said, look, look, uh, you said these things were legal, and now you're saying they're not. But there hasn't been any change in the law. And they said, since there's no change in the law, you can't just do 180 because you decide to do so. We don't allow it. There's got to be better continuity to the law than that. So that's what they're saying. But they're, And it's similar to the idea of an ex post facto law, but it's not actually considered ex post facto under the Constitution. They're right. saying that a regulatory agency cannot just do 180 degree flips because there's a change in the administration. So that's the difference. I, you know, and, and, and that, that's the other thing that you bring up because um, it sort of seems to me like what we're beginning to see, the new norm now today is when the, when the left is coming in, they're coming after guns, and they, they, they just bend the rules left, right, and center. When, when the Republicans come in, they don't do anything to reel back anything, and they don't do anything to keep it from happening when they're out of power. We see some pushback in the state level, at the state legislatures. But we don't see as much – we haven't seen hardly any pushback at the federal level. Now, there's been a couple of little attempts. When Trump got elected – um, there was the uh, Hearing Protection Act, and it looked pretty good. Yeah. I mean, it looked like it was going to go through. And then we had that madman in Las Vegas uh, do a uh, you know, mass killing there. Right. And with that as an excuse, uh, Paul Ryan just pulled that bill, which had a lot of good stuff in it for us, and he just didn't allow a vote on it. I mean, I personally have looked at it enough i i don't think that paul ryan did it because of a lack of spine i think paul ryan and he's a republican he was speaker of the house at the time to remind people in my opinion he just didn't want to do it yeah he was looking actively looking for an excuse to kill the bill right the bill was popular. i agree with there you was, on that i agree there with were a number of democrats that that were signed on to it and it, there were a lot of common sense things in that bill. It would have been very good for us. But Paul Ryan killed it. Uh, in my estimation, Paul Ryan was a wolf in sheep's clothing. You know, he made some of the right noises. But when it came down to actual effective legislation, he was with the Democrats or with the left or with the deep state, whatever you want to call it. Um, 
Well, I mean, one, so, of the, yeah. one of the tales with Ryan, right, one of the tales with Ryan and with the uh, Senate Republicans as well, because first two years of Trump's presidency, they had it all. And yep. what, they campaigned on repealing Obamacare. And they voted yeah. for it eight different times under Obama. And, of course, it was never right. going to go anywhere because Obama wasn't going to sign it. So then they get Trump, right. who says he'll sign it, and then they never bring it up. And when it finally well, does get to the Senate, John McCain gets out there because they haven't got anything to replace it with. And John McCain had issued numerous promises about how he was going to repeal yeah. Obamacare. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a, he was a fun guy, old John. He was, uh, Rest you know, in peace, McCain, John, you blue uh, falcon. You know, uh, some people have said it's because of advanced age or whatever. But looking at his entire career, I'm not convinced he wasn't always uh, basically just a deep state apparatchik. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, uh, I'm not. I'm not a John McCain fan. No, I wasn't either. I, I just wish he would uh, quit uh, in, injecting himself in the process now. As, as it is, he, he's still doing that today. He wants to get out there and say things, and uh, well, I think I think he, now he's part he, of the Never yeah, Trump is, Again group or whatever that is. John is is dead, but his wife Cindy is injecting herself. She has a strong political machine in Phoenix, and I think that they are uh, one of the significant reasons why we now have a far far left governor in Arizona and far, far left attorney general, which is being still being disputed, by the way, and far, far left secretary of state. Right. Uh, because uh, Cindy McCain is not what I would call a constitutional Republican. Oh, not at all. Hang on one second. We'll, we'll, we'll discuss this a little deeper if you want to when we get back. Uh, this article that I'm referencing, Pistol Brace, Illegal and Likely Unconstitutional, published August the 4th. You can find it at Amoland.com, where Dean has 2,200-plus other, 2, other articles waiting on you. That number should roll over just about any old day now. So as soon as I know that, I'll let you know. But, I mean, all of these things. Poignant as the day they were written, this, the Bear series is very, very entertaining. We'll be right back. This is Lock and Load. time on the firing lane time talk, talk last time on the firing line this is lock and load and i am speaking with dean weingarten i'll get that out sooner or later get that <laughs> out sooner or later the latest thing you have uh, put up there armed security required at all texas public schools in 2024 um what did, the first question I have with this does that mean the Uvalde school police department is disbanded because they should be well, I don't think it's disbanded, but I believe a number of officers have resigned. I think that the uh, the person in charge of the Uvalde 
school district police has uh, been fired slash resigned. Uh, and uh, much of the horrible, uh, bad decisions that were made that day, he was responsible for. And uh, it's hard to to say, you know, that it, it just seemed the case of somebody who wasn't willing to make significant decisions. And in a case like that where you have to do things quickly and decisively, indecision is deadly. Um, so enough about that. This law, the statute in Texas, I believe, came about because of Uvalde uh, mass killing. And if we go back to colonial America, there were several different colonies that required colonists to be armed uh, when they traveled or when they came to church or whatever because they were constantly at threat from hostile natives. And so they... They, there were massacres where most of colonies were wiped out. So they learned, and they required people to be armed. Well, I guess we have come to enough school massacres that in Texas they've learned, and now they require at least one armed security officer in all Texas public schools starting next year in 2024. Now, Texas has, I believe, at least, well, basically three different ways in which you can have armed security at a school district. Um, You can have a school district that has their own separate police force or a school resource officer um, or a commissioned peace officer employed as school school security, they're all basically the same thing. They all employ a uh, certified um, police officer as armed security at the school. Then they also have what's called a school marshal program. Uh, That requires these school marshals to go through about 80 hours of training. Um, And there are a few schools. I think think the number is around maybe 80 that have the school marshal program. And then they have the school guardian program. And this is the least restrictive of the three different types. And the school guardian program is any school employee uh, can be trained and it takes 15, 20 hours of training in the special skills required to stop uh, a mass killing at the school and uh, then they can uh, go around armed at the school. And this is not just school teachers. It could be principals, the administrative staff. Uh, it could be uh, janitors, groundkeepers, whatever, anybody that the school employs. Now, th- these are all volunteers, and the school bets them, and then they put them through this training, and it costs in the neighborhood of about 800 to $1,000 a year keep them trained and available. And they carry their weapons concealed so that no one knows who is armed and protecting students and who is not. And this adds a lot of difficulty to someone who is 
attempting to kill as many students as they can so that they go down in the record book. And so far, none of the schools using uh, the Guardian system uh, has been hit with a mass killing. And they very often assist this by putting a big sign out in front of all the doors, on the doors of the school or at the entrances to the school, uh, saying, uh, armed staff, trained and ready to defend students, something like that. It varies slightly with school. Now, an armed police officer, like a school resource officer, or if you have the school have its own police system, a school police officer, they run with all the benefits and everything about $100,000 a year. But a school guardian, because they only have one job besides their regular job, and that is to stop mass murder in schools, and they're taught things like triage and stopping bleeding and, and things like that as well. So it's not just uh, going after the uh, a potential mass murderer. Um, they only cost 800 to to $1,000 a year, so you can have 100 of them for every school resource office. So it's much more efficient. And the idea is to have enough of them so that if somebody, some, some evil person with evil intent is trying to kill a bunch of students, there very likely will be somebody there to stop them because you have to stop them really quickly. Most of the killing in these events happens in just the first couple of minutes. Uh, so you have to have somebody that's there basically inside the situation who can hear the shots, run to the sound of the gunfire, you know, and they're trained to differentiate between uh, the shooter and, and not hit other people. That's part of what they're training is. So Governor Abbott passed uh, and the legislature passed the law saying that you have to have an armed protector, an armed security person at every school. Well, $100,000 is pretty steep for a lot of school districts, and that only gets one person there. But you could spend $20,000 and have 20 guardians at the school. So I predict that there will be a large increase in the number of Texas independent school districts that participate in the school guardian program. And it's not like the school guardian program is not popular. It is. There's about the last time I was able to run the numbers was about a year and a half ago. There were about 44%, about 450 schools in Texas had the Guardian program out of about roughly 1,050 total, 1,040, 1,050. You know, it's hard to get the exact precise number because they change a little bit over time. So there's probably going to be a big increase in school districts with the Guardian program, and I think that's a good thing. I mean, this may not stop the mass killing, but I think it will reduce the number of mass killings that goes on in public schools. You know, they'll, they may go to other venues that they view as less protected. I'm sure that there are some, uh, you know, maybe, uh, you know, an LGBT concert or a, uh, 
or some type of event um, where guns are banned um, or uh, where what are what are venues there I think in stadiums for example there are uh, they generally ban guns from being inside um, so it may be I mean there are other targets they can target I'm not trying to suggest or push anybody in those directions. What I'm saying is that they will avoid targets that are that have armed security where they're likely to be interrupted and they won't be able to reach their goal of killing a large number of people. And they will likely go places where uh, the targets are less protected. And with that, Dean, we run out of time. It's always a pleasure to yes, talk sir. with you, Bill. We'll be talking. We'll be doing it again on Friday. We close the week out with Dean every week. Everything willing and everything lining up the right way. Check him out at Ammo Land. He's under all contributors. He'll be on the bottom. He'll be in the middle on the left, Dean Weingarten. Go look at the 2,200-plus articles he's got out there. They're, it is a huge archive. Thank you for joining me today, sir. Very good. As for me, I will be back in about 21 hours. And between now and then, if you would be so kind, I wish you would remember this. It has never been about gun control. Not once, not ever. It has been, and it's always going to be, about total control. This has been Lock and Load. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.